Well, I noticed that some things uh, do change. I like Dan Snape's new shoes. Those are nice, Dan. Like your baby blues. They're looking good. I was um, talking to John Clark, who is uh, uh, in a new role with our church, and you'll be seeing him more often and understand more of what he's doing, but he's he's, uh, leading up the administration for the three churches uh, in the area, and so he's working in the back offices, and I saw him this weekend, and he was telling me of a story of his son, Asher, who walked up to our building for the first time and uh, saw the moose on the front door. And I I noticed that we tore some things down, but the spirit of the moose is still upon us. So we're going to have a prayer meeting later on today to see if we can extract the moose out of this building. But Dot's like waving her hands. Um, But he said, doesn't Pastor Sean, he said, I'm concerned that Pastor Sean's not a Christian. And, and John says, John says, well, what do you mean, Asher? And he said, well, Dad, there, doesn't he know that we don't worship moose? Uh, 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 so, uh, so for those of you who are visiting, we are not going to have any moose uh, altars or anything up here this morning. Um, we are, I, I would assume that we're under, underway, not only tearing down the awnings, but getting rid of the moose on the front. So thankful to be back. Thank you for welcoming me and my family so warmly. We not only felt it when we walked in today, but we received uh, two dispatchments of notes over the course of the summer from you guys, just reminding us that you're praying for us and that you love us, and that meant so much to us. Just, just a, a hello and a, and a note was um, so appreciative, so thank you. And many of you have asked, uh, uh, how's your time been away? You know, it's always that hard question, how did it go? And you're like, how do I explain three months in 30 seconds? And so if you're interested in how our three months have transpired and what we've been up to and what God's been sharing with us, um, we will um, begin to tell that story, or I will begin to tell that story um, next week um, here at the service. Um, we did go to the Rocky Mountains. We put 7,000 miles on our car. Um, I did drive up to the highest heights in the Rocky Mountains. My daughter and I um, hiked up to 13,000 feet, and God did give me some tablets. I lost them on the way back, so I just want you to know that I don't come back with any great revelation of what needs to happen in your life, but I did write a few notes to specific people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what he shared, but... Um, I do come back refreshed, and I do come back with a great sense, as I was sharing with John this morning, a great sense of what um, God desires in our partnering with him uh, for an outpouring of his spirit and his revival among us. And so if there's anything that beats strongly in me is, God, we, I am totally dependent on you um, to see what you want to see in this city. But God, you want to see so much more, and I want to be a part of that. And so we'll be talking about that in the days to come. But I want to say one of the reasons that our, my sabbatical was so successful is that when I left, um, I didn't have to worry about this church because it was in the hands of so many great people. And I just want to thank all of you servants uh, that serve in so many ways. I walked into the kitchen this morning, and there was Dennis filling up the commun- communion cups and in all the different ways in which um, literally all of you, most of you serve in ways that nobody knows about. So thank you. That brought great release and peace to my soul. And I especially want to honor our staff that stayed around and took up a much heavier load in my place so that I wouldn't have to think about the church. So could we just honor the, the, the staff of our church? If you're on staff, John Prickett, Charlie, Cheryl, Dan Snape, Brendan... All these guys, thank you so much. Uh, There's no way that I could have actually rested if I didn't know that you guys were doing such a great job, so thank you. When I uh, I walked back in to uh, this weekend, my sabbatical is officially over sometime on uh, Thursday, and the next day we had our CFI International Conference for all of our missionaries that we have sent out throughout the world, as well as our local support staff and in churches, our three local churches here in the area. So from Friday morning through Friday night, uh, Saturday morning through last night, 
into today and ending tonight with a powerful and creative prayer time from 6 to 8 o'clock right here in this building. We will conclude our conference, and it has been such a fantastic time, and you're going to get to experience a little bit of that this morning as you get to hear from Lindsay as she speaks. But I wanted to encourage you with a thought that... um, Uh, I want to encourage you with what's going on in our movement, and then I want to take just a couple minutes to pray before Lindsay comes um, and shares with you. But one of the things that we, we endeavor to do when we started our first church 17 years ago, my wife and I, along with our two oldest, our oldest who is now 19, and Annie, who is about to turn 18, were one and a half and three months old when we moved to Boston with a dream to not only start a church, but to start a church planning church movement. And for the first four to six years, when anybody would ask us about our church, we'd say our church, we'd tell them about Community of Faith Christian Fellowship in Brighton, but we'd say our vision is not just to see one church started, but to see multiple churches in this area um, planted so that we would establish a strong home presence and outreach in Boston that would reach the four corners of the world. The mission statement was at that time, and actually I've pondered about bringing it back because I feel like that even at the river, we are embodying something that we believed for for 17 years ago, that we would be a diverse people, full of faith in God, compassionately reaching the world around us. And it's happening. And I got to sit in this room. We reconfigured the space yesterday, the last couple of days, and put couches and chairs and lamps around this area. And we sat together as missionaries overseas and local missionaries and staff, and we celebrated what God has been doing. We grieved the pain and the suffering that we've walked through over the last few years, and we dreamed about what could be, what God is going to do. And there are glorious days ahead of us because of the wonderful comrades that we get to walk with in these three churches, but also in the outposts throughout the world that we are already um, sending teams of missionaries to. So it is a privilege to be among you. But one of the founding verses of our movement, not just Community of Faith International here locally, and we have three churches locally And we have five to seven works either established or starting overseas that we're a part of just from what's happened here locally. But we're a part of a large organization that has 40 to 50 churches, uh, uh, 30 to 40 churches in the states, and then as many or more um, plants or teams overseas. But the founding passage of Scripture is Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. And I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation We normally quote it in the New American Standard, but I want to read it to you in the New Living because I believe this is a picture of what God's doing locally. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home and spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams and your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. What we are accomplishing or what we are trying to accomplish by the establishment of offices in the back of our building where we are consolidating two church staffs to work together, what we are trying to accomplish by bringing together once a month and and more frequently as we grow all of those leadership teams so that we can dream and calendar together and resource our resources together to reach this area and the nations, what we're trying to establish by strengthening you as a local church to not only just have a vision for your home or your workplace or this community, but for it to expand to the four corners of the earth, is that we would see a home base established spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, that would further the kingdom of God wherever he would send us. So you're a part of something more than just sitting on temporary metal chairs that eventually are going to become cushy, nice chairs. I just want you to know I've sat on some prototypes, and they feel good. But you're a part of something more than that. You're not just coming on a Sunday morning to hear a message, to feel good about yourself, and to go home. You're a part of a community that loves one another, that doesn't necessarily just love one another, but loves the community that's not in this church and that loves the nations of the world. We want to invite you into that. And the exciting thing about the river is that you don't have to go very far to meet the nations. Amen? 
Because the nations are in these chairs. And the home base that's being established to reach the nation is already being reached because we have nations in Waltham. We have communities of people from around the world that embody a passion and a zeal for where they were born and where their family is and the destiny or calling that's on their nation. And we want to touch that this morning. And so, as a taste of what's going to happen tonight, we're going to come tonight and we're going to pray for the nations. We're going to pray for the nations that we have workers in, but we'll pray for every nation that gets called out because we believe that God wants to touch every people, every tribe, every tongue with the gospel and the freedom, no longer slaves, the freedom of Jesus. If you are willing to stand up and identify yourself with a nation, would you stand up right now? That's not the United States. We've got England. Anybody else? Come on. You're from a nation that you would like to have prayer for. Thank you. Who else? No, we've got more. Come on. Stand up. Peru. All right. Yeah, no, 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 no. Keep on standing if you don't mind. You're going to represent Peru right now. What we want to do is we want to just very briefly, and you don't have to do this, but if you have it within your heart to reach out, stand up and reach out to somebody who's standing up, I'd just like to take a moment for you who are standing up to say, this is the nation I'm standing up for, and give us one prayer. Give us one prayer that you would, one powerful thing that you would like to see happen in your nation that you're standing up for, and we're going to agree for that right now. So can we do that? Can we stand up and pray for these nations? Again, Stand if you want to. We're just going to take a minute. If, you're, if you stood up, speak your nation, and let's believe for God's work among the people that you represent. So, Father, we thank you that even as we pray, and you keep on praying, as we pray for these nations that are represented, we say thank you, God. Lord, we say thank you that you love every people, every tribe, every tongue, every geopolitical boundary, and the people that live within those boundaries. Lord, you love these cultures, these people, Father, dearly. And Lord, we ask, Father, for an inheritance, Lord, that from the river, from CFI, our descendants, Lord, those that call themselves by uh, the name of this church or this community, that they would see these nations reach that we're praying for with the gospel, Lord, and that they would resettle ruined cities, age-old cities, and see them come alive again with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we also ask, Father, as these are standing, Lord, that represent people groups within our own city, Lord, that the nations within Waltham, the nations within Boston and the surrounding area would hear the gospel here, Lord, that you would penetrate families and people groups within our communities with the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to invite Lindsay up. Lindsay, wherever you are, come on up and stand with me. Everybody welcome Lindsay. Lindsay, when did you start coming to CFCF? 2001. Uh, Lindsay started coming to our first church, Community of Faith Christian Fellowship. And from the minute that she was involved, she dove deep into relationship with us and um, was on her own journey with Discovering God. I'm not going to share all of your story. You might share all of this. But I just want to say, Lindsay has been an inspiration to us. And I want to say this. Inspiration doesn't come by uh, your personality or even what you do. Inspiration in the kingdom of God comes when somebody says, I receive fully the love of God, and I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do with my life. And what you're going to hear from Lindsay is a story 
of transformation and uh, radical obedience out of joy to what God has called her to. Um, We sent her out to her first location overseas in 2008. She was one of our first missionaries to go out on the field um, to one of the hardest places in the world to live. I can just tell you that. And this will give you an indication of what she's like. But when she received the call of the Lord, she said yes to his call. And she went in the first day that she had ever been in the country that she was called to was the first day that she moved in. She didn't visit. She didn't test out the water. She didn't check it out. But God said, go. And she said, I'll go. And she just moved and relocated to that place. Woman of God. Awesome. Uh, She's unashamedly in love with and thankful for Jesus and um, his love for the peoples of the nations. And so we're thankful for you, and we're thankful for what you have to share. Lord, would you bless my sister? Lord, may she just be who she is, and may we hear fully your heart in her, and may we all be affected and changed by her story. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, So in Africa... Usually when visiting preachers come, they preach for about two hours. So I hope that you can get comfortable. (laughs) I'm not going to do that to you. (laughs) So like Sean said, I came to CFCF in 2001, moved in 2008. Um, While I was at CFCF, I um, was teaching at Boston Trinity Academy. One of my students is in the crowd today, (laughs) which is fun. Um, And... I was involved with the training school for five years. I was a student for two and then on staff for three years. Um, So in 2008, I moved overseas to East Africa, and I joined an an existing team there. Um, And I went with a two-year commitment thinking, like, I'll see what God speaks while I'm here. I'll get more into that later. Um, But somewhere along the way, um, I felt like I would be there for a long time. But we, um, all all of the missionaries were kicked out after I'd been there for four and a half years. So from there, I went to a, a country in the Middle East to do a short-term assignment with another team while um, one of my teammates and I prayed about what we would do next. And um, from there, we... Um, moved on to a country in North Africa that I call Freedom Land. Um, So this country in North Africa um, was very closed off to the world for 42 years until the Arab Spring when their dictator was toppled. It's 99.9% Muslim, which is why we, one of the reasons we felt called to move there Um, There are a few scattered believers there. People aren't sure of the numbers, but they think um, it's probably somewhere around 100. Um, And the country is very oil wealthy. And so the people are used to having everything subsidized for them by the government, um, which has created a, a bit of a just a mentality of entitlement and um, expecting lots of things to just come to them for free. Um, These days, the government is a little bit chaotic in a chaotic state, so they're not getting everything that they're used to, and it's causing some tension. Um, So as I was praying about what I would share about this morning, I really felt like God wanted me to share about his shepherd's heart. Um, So I'm going to be talking, so the scripture for this morning is uh, Psalm 23, and I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, but but that is kind of the the backbone of what I'm talking about. Um, So I want everybody to close their eyes, and I'm going to read Psalm 23, and I just want you to visualize yourself being led by the shepherd. So, okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you um, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Lord, I just pray over this time this morning, and I, I ask that you would reveal to each one of us your love in a fresh way and your shepherd's heart for each one of us. God, I pray that um, you would release us from the fears that hold us back from really trusting you. God, I pray for myself that you would just speak through me and give me the words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start with when I went off to college. God messed up my life when I went to college. I had dreams like any, any normal kid. I, um, I had grown up in a suburb west of Cleveland, and I was a well-rounded, good, churchy kid. Um, and my dream was to practice law internationally and get married in my 20s and start a family. And so, um, oh, and also I had the noble intention of making Jesus a really big part of my life. But I wanted the other things first and then would fit him in later. So um, I was very driven and um, used to achieving whatever I went after. And I didn't see anything wrong with going for what I wanted and what I dreamed to have. And there was nothing wrong with the dreams that I had, definitely. But the problem was that I had the wrong attitude, and I'd never asked God what his dreams for my life were. So um, the thing is that God wants everything. He is an all-or-nothing kind of God, and he's not satisfied with just a piece of our hearts or, or just a big part of our life. He wants it all. Um, he wants complete control and submission. And it's scary for us to let go of those things sometimes, um, those dreams and those desires and those ambitions, because we're, I think the root fear is that we're afraid that God doesn't really have our good in mind. Like, we want something that is better for us than what God wants for us. Um, but the reality is that God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And I didn't realize this when I started college, but he revealed it to me. He sees the big picture. He sees what's going to happen in your future. He sees, he sees what you need. He, um, he knows the inner workings of your personality. Um, he is trustworthy. So, um, and, and then honestly, our dreams for our lives are usually too safe and too boring. He has, he has much more in store for us than we could ever dream of. So God used a friend of mine my freshman year in college to really reveal his heart for adventure to me. I don't remember where we were, but this friend got up and shared her testimony, and she read a poem, and I want to read that to you. Um, this poem really, sp he spoke to me through it. It says, um, let me take a drink of water. Okay, so the poem says, at first, it's called The Road of Life. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of things that I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. 
I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. I've experienced that a lot. (laughs) And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine, and we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did. To the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received, and still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend and take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to shorten scary passages, and I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places, and I'm beginning to enjoy the view with the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do it anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. So that really just stirred something in me when I was in a freshman in college, and I just, I wanted that. But when you, when you respond to God's adventure, his invitation to adventure, um, you have to, you have to hand over your dreams. And so when I, when I handed over my paltry little dreams as a freshman, I had no, res- no idea what the result was going to be. Never in a million years did I expect to share the gospel in the middle of the Sahara in a Bedouin tent. Can you, can you um, put the first picture up? Oh, not that one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> so there's, a, there's kind of a fun story with this. My friends and I were actually, there was a holiday going on in the country, and my friends and I had driven out east 10 hours into the middle of the desert near near the Red Sea, and we were actually driving around in a pickup truck looking for a place to go swimming, and this man who was part of the this tribe came over and asked if he could help us, and he said, oh, I'll get into the back of the truck and I'll show you where to go. And so we said, okay. And after we went swimming, the man said, well, you have to come back to my tent and meet my wives. And we said, oh, great. And so we went back to the tent and had tea with them. The whole, like, community came around. There's an, I have another picture with all the men sitting there with our guy friends. And um, I, I asked one of the ladies, do you know the story of Adam and Eve? And she said, no, I don't know that story at all. I I can't read. And it was just amazing. Like, people have never heard the gospel, and they're out there, and no one is there. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, never expected I would have that experience. I also never dreamt that um, I would teach East African boys and girls how to line dance. Can you go to the next picture? (laughs) So, um, Kim Pierce, actually, she was on our team. She initiated this one. She's a better dancer than I am. And we were doing a summer school program at the school where we taught, and so we taught them how to line dance. Um, I also never dreamed that I would disciple an East African family of squatters, which is the next picture. Um, So, this lady was a second wife. Her husband had another wife in an, another a village that was far away. And so we started sharing with her, and she decided she wanted to follow Jesus. And so we started discipling her and her kids and um, her sister. And then her husband came back, and she was really scared. She didn't want to tell him. And so um, we were sitting there with him one day, and we just started sharing about Jesus with her husband, and her husband was like, oh, okay, uh, and we said, well, if you'd like to, if you'd like to learn more, we can start a, we can come more regularly and study with you, and so he was like, great, come on over, and so we would have these studies with her and her husband, um, and this, 
that her husband came into the picture right before we left. So um, I'm not sure where he is now, but it was a really neat experience. Um, I don't have a picture for this, but I also never thought I would work as a reporter in North Africa following the Arab Spring. <laughs> that was interesting and really fun. Um, but all I knew at, at that point, my freshman year in college, was to respond by opening my hands and surrendering what I knew and, and trusting him for what I didn't know. Um, so when our hands are in, when when our hands are open, we're in a place of surrender. We're not holding on to the things that are familiar or comfortable or safe. Um, we're saying, God, you make me feel safe and comfortable and important, um, not my abilities or my dreams. With open hands, we're free to receive what God wants to give us. Um, and when we don't open our hands, we're not free for that. Um, and honestly, it's like we're trading pebbles for diamonds. We just don't realize it yet. Um, and I think it's interesting that a lot of times people say, oh, when did you surrender to Jesus? When did you give your life to Jesus? Like it's a one-time thing. It's actually a, a multiple-time thing. It will happen thousands of times where, where you will surrender over and over and over if you decide to trust him with your life. Um, adventure, the adventurous life in him is a joy, but when we surrender, there's pain. Um, but the more, the more open our hands are, the less pain there is. So, um, sometimes, this is funny because we're humans, this happens. Sometimes God leads us to surrender something, and so we receive what he has. And then the thing that he has, he's giving us, actually becomes a new, new source of something that we hold on to that we need to surrender. Like, when he gives us something, we still have to have open hands. Um, and when we don't, we can find ourselves in a crisis. And I'm sure we've all experienced this. I know I have. And I'm going to give you one example. So, um, when I left Boston, it was a big step of faith for me. I was established here. I loved my job. I had a good group of friends. I loved my church. Um, I just really was thriving in Boston. And, but I had had this, this call as a college student that someday I would go overseas to work cross-culturally. And I had no idea which country that would be in or with which people group or when. It was very hazy, but I knew it was there. And so at one point, um, I knew it was time to go when um, God just spoke to me and he said, you've gotten really comfortable here. And um, if you don't go now, you might never go. And so I was like, okay, I'm going. Um, so I um, committed to go to East Africa. <laughs> um, and like Sean said, I didn't visit it before I moved there. And I arrived there at night, which often happens when you travel to Africa. And it's very disorienting because you get there and it's dark outside and you can't see any of your surroundings. You're just, you get into the car and you drive to your hotel or to your place where you're staying. So I, the next morning I woke up and I went outside and I was like, can you flash um, that picture that? So I walked outside and it was just like blinding sunlight, oppressive heat and garbage everywhere and brown everywhere. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, so, and in my head, I was like, okay, 24 months to go. Um, but, but um, you know, culture shock, I eventually got used to it. But, um, yeah, it's funny. Everything was brown, all the buildings. They, some of them were painted, but you saw a lot of brown and not a lot of trees or bushes. And um, I had this reaction to it, and my teammate, Michelle, and I, had to find our I find a new apartment six weeks after I got there, and when we moved in, we painted all the rooms really bright colors because I just wanted to see color. So we had a raspberry living room with bright orange couches, <laughs> and my bedroom was periwinkle 
and her room was bright orange, and then the living or the um, the kitchen was seafoam green. So I never would have chosen those colors before that, but yeah. Um, okay, so um, anyway, obviously. Um, when I first moved there, I was thinking, okay, I want to know what, what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. I know I'm here for two years, but am I supposed to stay here longer? And, you know, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't tell you right away. He likes to keep you hanging for a while and then let you know. And, I, and one of the reasons he does that is because he wants you to be faithful with what he's put in front of you. And... And that takes faith because you have to trust that um, he is going to open up doors in his own time. And it's also building trust with God because you're showing him that you trust him to do that. Um, so anyway, I pressed into life in East Africa and gave it my all. And after about a year and a half, um, I was coming down to the wire um, he finally, I finally felt like, okay, this is a long-term thing. I, I really feel like he will have me here for a while. And so, um, so yeah, I, I really believed I'd be there for many years, but three years after I, um, after that moment, so at year four and a half, um, changes started to happen and none of the workers were prepared for it. Um, we had gotten, we were very unified. The country has 38 million people in it, and there were about 200 workers. And we kind of knew all, each other um, and really partnered together a lot. Um, it was a very rich community. And we had started really taking liberties and being very overt and bold. And, um, and, the government, I'm sure, was well aware, but I think that in countries like this, the government decides, like, I think they're, they're often, almost all the time, they're aware of, of the missionary activity, but um, they just decide when they're going to tolerate it and when they're not, and so they had gotten to the point where they weren't going to tolerate it anymore, um, and so they built a case against these two big companies in the country that were run by foreigners, and they mostly offered English services, and they had branches all over the country in different cities, um, and they just started shutting down the branches outside of the capital, and um, they took in um, the leaders of the first company, which was called Credo, two Americans and one Swiss guy, and they put them in prison, and the two Americans got out pretty quickly, but the Swiss guy was in prison for at least two months. Um, and meanwhile, they, the government was pulling in all the employees and interrogating them and using the information to bring in other people that they were connected with. And um, so the Swiss guy got out of prison. He was expelled from the, com the country with his family and um, shut down all operations. Um, and then they moved to the language schools, which is where, like, the new missionaries were learning Arabic. And they just shut the schools down, kicked out all of the students. Um, so my team leader was working for the second company that got shut down, which was called ACE. And basically, her passport was in the office because she needed to get an exit reentry visa with a stack of other passports. And the security people came in, and they said... Let us have all the passports. Okay, all these people are kicked out. And so this was like right be 10 days before Christmas. And they said they have 10 days to get out. So um, that was interesting. Um, hysteria among the workers and the local believers started. People were just like, oh, okay, we, we can't associate with these people because their friends are being interrogated. Or, um, and just it just got very stressful and kind of messy. And um, so anyway, in the end, um, they started interrogating local pastors. Some of them were tortured. Um, and our team 
decide, we, the, they pulled the other two members of our team, me and Kim, out in February because there were no male workers left in the country at this point. Michelle was gone, and um, it looked like they were going to clean everyone out. They just hadn't gotten to us yet because we were working for nationals. Um, and so for me, um, there's one more picture. So that was maybe the day before I left saying goodbye to some of my students. Um, I don't look that, that sad at that point, but I was. So um, that was at the university. They were some of my English students. Um, so yeah, all 200 workers were kicked out. Um, God was clearly doing a new thing, but it definitely looked like a bunch of losses. Um, for me, my job was gone, my friends were gone, my home was gone, my ministry was gone. It was like I was at ground zero. And what do you do when the rug is pulled out from under you? And I mean, what when the unexpected happens, you lose your job unexpectedly, or um, someone has an accident, or you can't keep up with your payments. Um, what do you do? You feel disoriented, you feel blind, you feel frustrated, you feel grieved. Um, when this happened to me, I took four steps. So number one, we already talked about it. It was just like, okay, open, open my hands, surrender. This country was not mine forever. It was something that God gave me for a time. Um, it was just part of the adventure. Um, and then also choose thankfulness. And that involves faith because you are believing that God is going to do something good in the midst of it. Um, and I'll get to that more. Also, ask him to make you sensitive to his voice, because clearly he's wanting to take you in a new direction. He's wanting to do something there, and he wants to relate to you in that. And then fourth, be faithful in the small things. What, has, what do you know? What can you step forward in that maybe is not going to tell you what you're doing next month, but it's going to tell you what to do for today? Step forward in that. Um, God doesn't delight in our suffering, but we all will suffer, right? We all suffer because we live in a fallen world. Bad things will happen and we will experience pain. But I love the promise in Romans 8.28 because God promises that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And his heart is always to redeem. So our job is to look for the good to respond by looking to the good, looking for the good in every situation. I love um, the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It says, be joyful always, pray continuously, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you want to know what God's will for your life is, it's to be thankful, to give thanks in all circumstances. Um, so... I love this story from The Hiding Place. Has anyone ever read Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place? It's one of my favorites. Um, so basically, she um, was a Dutch person. She and her family were Christians. And during World War II, they hid Jewish people in their house um, to hide them from the Nazis. Um, and they were taken in and put in prison. And her father died probably 10 days after they went to prison. And then um, she and her sister were moved to a concentration camp from the prison. And they were there for several months. Um, and they would lead Bible studies in the barracks with the women around them. And um, it, it really had a ministry there. And one morning, they were doing devotionals. And they read First Thessalonians 5. And it said to give thanks in all circumstances. And Corey, the women had been suffering because their barracks was infested by fleas. And it was just miserable. And it was really heavy on everybody that day. And Corey was like, what? You we're supposed to give thanks, thanks for the fleas? Really? And her sister was like, well, God says everything. Give thanks in all circumstances. And so 
She was like, <laughs> um, and then a couple weeks later, they learned that um, they had had all this freedom in the barracks to do these Bible studies and devotionals because of the fleas. The guards didn't want to go near the barracks, and so they just stayed outside. And her sister was very happy to remind her of that. Um, so choosing thankfulness in all circumstances is faith in action. Um, it's believing that God is good and that he really does work all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, in the East Africa situation, God did a good thing. He knew what was needed there because after all of the foreign workers were kicked out, the local believers rose up like never before and started taking leadership, and they're still multiplying and training people to this day, and it's even spilled over into neighboring countries. It's not uncommon to meet an Ahmed or a Mohammed who is following Jesus in even in the countries where the refugees are fleeing to. Um, so also for me, it was a blessing because he's given me an opportunity to trust him more. He's taken me on a three-year-long journey of trust and just really pressing in and listening to what he has next that I wouldn't have had if I had just stayed there doing what, what had become comfortable. Um, and uncertainty is uncomfortable, right? Who likes uncertainty? I don't. Um, but it gives you an opportunity to press into it more and to grow in your relationship. Um, opportunities to hear his voice that we might not take if we didn't have to. Um, so a couple of practical things for hearing God's voice in the, middle, in the midst of uncertainty. And it's just a couple of things because this could be a whole talk um, on its own. But when you're in a place where you're uncertain, you should go to the word of God and read. God wants to engage with you in his word. And you need his perspective because things are very confusing and dark to you. Um, and so you need to fill your mind with truth. Read it prayerfully and ask him to speak. Meditate on his promises, things that he's spoken to you in the past, and just renew your mind with that. Um, read your journal. Read past entries, especially in the months leading up to when the big thing happened, because he may have been doing something to prepare you. Um, take notes on what you're feeling, what is sticking out to you. Um, and make space to listen in, the, in silence. Keep a pen and a journal nearby and write down the things that, that he brings to your mind. And then lastly, be faithful to do what you know. Move forward in what, you, what he's given you for that day or for that week. Um, so we're getting close to the end. <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to skip the story. So um, being faithful in the small things, again, is an expression of faith. Just like being thankful, um, being fa just like being thankful in all things is an expression of faith, being faithful is also an expression of faith. Do things with integrity as though they matter, even though they seem like small things, and show God that you trust him to fill your life with purpose um, and that you can eventually be trusted with greater things. Um, when God awakened my heart to the adventure of walking closely with him so many years ago, I didn't expect that so much of the ride would be bumpy and uphill. And at the same time, I never could have dreamed up the hundreds of adventures that dreamed up the hundreds of adventures that we've had together. Much of the journey has been has not been glorious, but there have been glory moments, and what is glorious also ultimately is the relationship that develops as we surrender and join him, pressing in to know him more, listening, trusting, and thankful. So to recap, life in God is an adventure, but we must surrender everything to him. Number two, surrender happens over and over, thousands of times. Number three, when things get hard, our job is to, 
is to be thankful, to listen, and to be faithful in the small things. And number four, God's goal is always relationship, and that is part of the adventure. He's a good shepherd. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you need better than you do. You can trust him with your life. And this is for young people, old people, children, you know, everybody. We can all surrender at a new level. It's not just for someone who's just starting off um, as an adult or going off into the world. Um, so I want to address a, a couple of situations that may exist in the room today. So if you would close your eyes. Okay. See if any of these, if you relate to any of these. Um, number one, some of you are just beginning to learn about God and maybe trying to decide whether or not God exists and wondering if he is a good God if he does. I encourage you to keep searching and asking questions. Talk through your questions with one of the leaders here. Ask for a Bible and start reading through the book of Luke. God created you to God created you and knew you even before you were born. He desires relationship with you and he has good plans for your life. Your sin has separated you from him, but he's made a way to restore relationship with you through the sacrificial death on the cross of his son Jesus. Or there might be some of you in the room who have been going to church for a long time, but you haven't yet experienced the joy of surrendering everything. Or maybe you're in a place right now where you're holding on to something. All your hopes and plan or your hopes or your plans. I would say to you, don't delay in letting go. Don't delay in starting your adventure with him if you have never started it. He has good things in store for you, and his dreams for your life are so much deeper, so much higher, so much more fulfilling than yours are. Or maybe you've come to church today utterly discouraged with the way things are going in your life. You may have a problem that seems insurmountable. I would say to you, take hope. He sees you, he cares for you, and he's faithful. Press in to know him more. He's working to bring something good out of your situation. Ask for eyes of faith to see his goodness. So I want to invite the band to come up and play. Um, if you would like prayer for any of those things or anything else, um, they're gonna, the prayer team will come up and you can ask for prayer from them.